I think we're live. We, as in who is we today? Uh, because I feel like I have two guests on the show today. We have oh. Jessica, who, uh, or Jessica, Jessica Russ. Welcome. Great to have you here. She's, she's becoming a, a regular. Uh, a regular. I guess. <laughs> Uh, and then Aaron is on vacation because... <laughs> and instead, we have this low voice today. <laughs> Sounds like we've got Barry White on here or something, right. something like that. It's like, Hello, everyone. Aaron's lost his voice. Um, so no, it just dropped. It's just dropped. Yes. <laughs> but it's great to have you here, Jessica. Thanks thank for you. joining us. Uh, yeah. And thank you for preaching on Sunday. You're um, welcome. And if you're kind of new to this thing, this is what we do, right? We... Kind of find space for all the things that there weren't space for on Sunday morning, because that's usually the case. Um, and so we'd love to hear from you some of how you prepped and how you thought through this passage, uh, this text in this Advent season. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but it, it just, that is an art form, right? To, to figure out what, what we're saying. We all three share that burden at different points. Yeah. So, so actually, before you get into that, uh -huh. let me ask you, how do you feel about being just assigned a text mm. do you um, enjoy that process because we're in the lectionary yeah it's I sort mean, of assigned yeah i've i've only had one preaching experience where i wasn't assigned a text and it was do whatever um wow yeah and that's like that's actually harder for me because like out of all the things that you could talk about, like <laughs> all of the 66 books and all of the parts of the 66, yeah. like, what do you do? <laughs> well, I used to find when I was preaching less often and would get those moments where it was like, yeah, just it's a standalone. Say what you feel. I'm like, oh, I've been feeling some stuff over the last few months. I'm like, I don't care. But this and right. this are this both getting in the like, yeah. They're going to be in there. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's when you pray about it and like ask God to give you direction on where to go with it instead mm -hmm. of just like, I guess I'll just do this. Yeah. Yes. Um, Cause that's when you get the guest preacher who goes up there and preaches on the same passage every time. Oh man. I've um, had some of those. Yeah. But I mean, they forgot did. they were, when they were guests last year, they preached the same text. <laughs> right. We had, we had one guy when I was in England that came back every year and every year you knew that he would talk on the blood of Jesus specifically. <laughs> And it wasn't, it's not that it was bad, but every year it was the same thing. Like, you know, you need to understand like the, the importance of the blood. And that was his thing. Um, not, not death, not resurrection, specifically the blood part. And so he'd come back, he'd be like, here we go again. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, oh, he hit that point three minutes early this time. Um, but I mean, you and Dan and I did meet we did. in preparation for the Advent service because services series. Mm -hmm. um, like the lectionary doesn't just have one passage mm -hmm. for every week and like that's yeah. your choice. It's like five, four or five. Um, so there was discussion as to, okay, well, we're kind of ruling this out. Do we want to do this or this? Yeah. Um, so Dana and I both did advocate for Isaiah yeah. and like kind of push you into doing well. it. <laughs> it became like a mini Isaiah series in yeah. completely weird chronological order. Yes. Because I did 64 Dad did 40 and you got 61. One. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, spoiler alert, but the Old Testament luxury passage is not an Isaiah for Christmas Eve. It's not. No, yeah. I got two Samuel chapter seven, which is very interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. Come back Sunday morning for the morning service. If you want to figure out 
Yeah. What second salmon? And is then enough? bring all of your neighbors to serve. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. All yeah. right. So you open up your text and uh, yeah. How do you approach this? Yeah. Um. I mean, it's it's an incredible text. I love this passage. Um. There is a lot happening in this passage, which when you have a text that's so packed with stuff. Um, that is a challenge to figure out what do you do? What do you leave out? Um, and then the other thing that we talked about when we had our pre advent mm-hmm. meeting is kind of emphasizing the different weeks yep. and the themes of each week. Yes. Um, not just being, okay, we're talking about Isaiah, but we're mm-hmm. talking about Isaiah in this context of hope, peace, yep. joy, and love. Um, Isaiah and second Samuel. In the context of <laughs> um, so you have to weave that into you have to talk about Advent, like there's all the other stuff that uh-huh. you have to mention. I have to tell people who I am still, um, <laughs> and that you don't care for the pastors. I didn't mention that, that this time. No, you didn't, uh, she gave up because she realized she actually does kind of do that too. <laughs> um, yeah, if you don't, so if you don't know what you were ta- joking about, yeah. her title is director of pastoral yeah. care, which the general assumption is that my job is to take care of the pastors, um, which that is not in my job description. Um, Although I get asked to do stuff and not in my job description right. regularly. But it, I don't know that it falls under other duties as a sign either, though. That's probably fair. Um, yeah. yeah. So, like, part of my standard process of preparing to preach, printing out the passage um going through praying over it reading through a couple times Mm. um marking up what i see like movements of things repeated words stuff like that um i was so proud of myself because i used multiple color pens like was marking up like okay god is doing this like the anointed one is doing this the people of god are doing these things the nations are doing these things and it was a very like clear progression of like god does this and then the anointed one does mm-hmm. this which leads to the people doing this and leads to the nation's hearing but there was also a lot of stuff that all of those actors were <laughs> doing yeah uh, it's like okay how do you talk about this um and then i did mention this to my sermon but like i'm like alex missed most of my sermon so i'll fill you in yeah. but, um i hate when people tell me how to feel especially when it's like feel positive about <laughs> stuff <laughs> I'm not. You like um, when people tell you to feel sad? Uh, no. I mean, it's a little bit easier if, like, I'm already like in a hard time. It's like, yeah, yeah it's okay to feel sad. It's like, great, thank you for seeing me. If it's like, yes, okay. I my life feels like a mess. I feel like a mess. Things are hard. And it's like, choose joy. Like, yeah. practice gratitude. Absolutely, like, yeah. Heck no. <laughs> <laughs> but so like, you don't you, know my life. <laughs> when you pointed out, it is very absur- absurd, right? Because because. If you meet someone who's distinctly happy in a moment of obvious joy, you don't have any expectation that you might be able to say to them, I want you to feel sad. Like right. change it, take away that. Like, take that it down exuber- a few notches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, it just like, hey, bubbles out. And and we almost have this expectation the other way around that, yeah, you can just turn that off. Like, that's just a tap. Just like, Right. You know, like, if you really had faith, like you would be overflowing with all the stuff. Oh, man. Um. Yeah. So as I got more into it and had to get into the joy piece of things, like, oh, shoot. (laughs) How do I actually talk about this? And how do I talk about this? Well, knowing that, like, many people in our congregation have had really hard Mm -hmm. years. A lot of people are going through a hard time. I hate when it comes across as, like, if you just, like, you know, 
act like things are fine and change your attitude. Like, it'll be okay when that's not necessarily mm. the case. Um, and I also realized a portion of that is a me problem <laughs> and not necessarily like the intention behind stuff. Yeah. We are so committed to rejoice. Um, yeah. So like, if nothing else, God needed to teach me all this stuff. I love it. Even if like nobody else learned anything, <laughs> but I think they did. Um, yeah. But also sure like this particular sermon, like, I don't know about you both of you but when you are exhausted and people in your family are repeatedly sick it just like throws us off Mm. and it is hard for me to write Mm. or like internalize anything when i like feel like a zombie so this felt like nothing was coming together and it was a disaster um which probably explains why it was super short this time yeah so i got off stage was like why are there still 20 minutes left? What happened? What did I do? Alex went gone for 20 more minutes. Alex managed to do announcement for another 20 minutes. Hey. It was great. <laughs> but I did have like a moment of, um, I don't It wasn't like an audible voice or anything, but like, a, nope, that was everything yeah. you needed to say today. Yeah. You're fine. No, it was great. Actually, so. I think like if a sermon's horrible and it's short, everyone's like, it's great. I'm glad it went short. If it's amazing and short, you're like double win. Yeah. And I think it was the latter. So good job. So I think, I think, and I think that's an interesting conversation that's been going on in the church world for, for, especially for if you're listening and you've never really had it, been in the midst of those conversations. Uh, there was a pastor I was friends with out in Michigan and he uh, was at a, like a, a really well-known evangelical church. Uh, and, and he moved into the Anglican community uh, and one of the things he said not long ago is he used to target a certain word length for his sermons that mm-hmm. landed him somewhere in the 35 to 40 minute region. Yeah. And he said, I halved it. And he said, try halving your sermon. Your community will thank you for it. <laughs> uh, and, and I obviously didn't do it <laughs> because, you know, I, uh, my, my style is not to really know how long I'm going to talk for until I've finished talking. But, but I think I could see some of the wisdom behind that, that that I think there is a self-importance at times to the way that we do sermon messages. Uh, It's it's a a monologue. It's one. And even that has has made me ask loads of questions about, you know, because I've always been intrigued about what creates narcissism in the evangelical church. Is it, is it that it attracts narcissists or is it that it creates narcissists? Or probably both. Probably both. And, and, and when you think that you have a few hundred people to a few thousand people in a medium to large church listen to you devotedly every week uh, without replying, like that creates a certain impression of yourself potentially. Like there's very few professions yeah. that you get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think yeah, there's probably a, a wisdom in, in simply saying, God, whatever you called me to say, uh, and that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I think that there's still loads of questions I have, and I'm years into this, around why I feel the need for humor in sermons, um, why I feel the need for ad-libs in sermons. Like, is that just me being me? Is that unhealthy? I don't, I don't know. I try not to get too deep into it, to be honest, because <laughs> it feels like a bit of a rabbit, or, yeah. or a bit of a dangerous like uh, rabbit hole to drop into. Yeah. And I think some sometimes the freedom of repetition allows you to not have to carry that too heavily. Right. Um, like 
when I'm now, I've been leading worship in South for 13 years and I get mm. so many chances to lead worship. Yeah. Like it used to be, well, this is a great example. This, I'm not, I'm not personally the one singing a holy night. I might not might be singing anything this week, <laughs> um, but I'm not singing a holy night this year which is fine. And I haven't actually in multiple years, but when I first came, it was like, I want to sing that one. It's the sacred song. It's the song. The right. Moment, and, uh, but if you've gotten enough chances, you're like, man, I really think someone else should sing this now. <laughs> it's like, you yeah. know, it's like less difficult, but if you don't get oftentimes, uh, you know, as many times to preach, it maybe is a pressure to do something different with it. Maybe. I th- I th- and I think that that's something I've wrestled with, with like Christmas Eve and Easter. Like when you do a certain job, there's almost like you feel this expectation that, well, you'll do those services. But then I remember being an assistant pastor and longing to do Easter and Christmas and being like, couldn't this guy share those with you <laughs> once? Um, uh, you know, and, and you, yeah. you, so you kind of like when you, you sit in a specific chair, you kind of get more of the sense of some weird feeling of obligation or um, feeling of expectation of a community. Like if you're not in the place for those specific things, like, yeah, are you not leading? Right. What's going like, on? Like, yeah. yeah, it was this. Uh, yeah. And so I think it just, yeah. uh, it can make you overthink them at times. Um, but I, I also, mm. I worked with a guy really briefly who had loads of faults, but he asked me to come as a co-teaching pastor. And when I looked at the preaching schedule first year, it was like, Alex, Chris, uh, Easter. It was like, he just handed that over, like without any, so with all his faults, he was very generous with those things. Uh, wow. So yeah. so, yeah, give us a, like a quick flyover of this text and what you were seeing in it. Um, just as a reminder for those who were there, but also just, um, for the listeners who weren't there, just like what's going on in this text. Yeah. Um, so this text comes almost at the end of the book of Isaiah, um, after, you know, judgment and exile have been prophesied. This is part of, um, future looking prophecies of restoration, mm-hmm. um, in context, maybe restoration from exile, but ultimately fulfilled in the fullness of the kingdom of God. Jesus, um, mm-hmm. in Luke four preaches, uh, the first, what, four verses, three verses, Um, of this passage and says like today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing Mm -hmm. um claiming the ultimate fulfillment of this passage in him yeah um and like probably if you're a follower of jesus and you've read the gospels those first three verses are going to be what you're most familiar with because Mm -hmm. jesus speaks them yeah um, and refers to them you know later which is that the spirit of the sovereign lord is upon Mm -hmm. me because he's anointed me to pre- proclaim good news to the poor and so on. Yeah. Bind up the brokenhearted, freedom for the captive, release from darkness, you're the Lord's favor, um, which is all good and beautiful things. Um, and like you could preach a wonderful, great needed sermon just mm-hmm. on those things. Yeah. But the chapter keeps going. Um, God himself speaks in verses eight and nine, for I, the Lord love justice. Um, I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Um, and then it ends with, um, praise to God for what he has done. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Um, which, you know, every text has differences of interpretation. 
this text I discovered has lots of differences oh, in interpretation really? on what's happening. You mean a prophetic text that's hard to interpret? Right. What? Um, like, yeah. <clears throat> so there's difference of interpretation for sure on who is speaking in these last couple of verses. Is it the anointed one who's speaking in the first mm-hmm. person in the beginning? Yeah. Is it um, the people of God personified as one voice? Um and it, it seems like for a number of reasons, the best interpretation, which is what I went with, is the these last two verses, the ones who are praising, thanking God for his salvation, thanking God for what he has done, is the people of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're assigned the whole passage, minus like two yeah. verses that they randomly cut out, there's a lot. Yeah. But you have to cover the whole passage. You can't just camp in the verses that everyone's already familiar with. Um, yeah. and like the rest of it makes a huge difference because, mm-hmm. um, what I emphasized in the sermon, the outcomes of the first three verses are amazing and incredible and mm-hmm. beautiful and what we long to see, but they're not the point and they're not the reason for the rejoicing mm-hmm. God and his action is the point and the mm. reason for rejoicing. Like none of this would happen without God acting, without mm. him sending, without him being a God of justice, without him authorizing yeah. yeah. all of this stuff. That's beautiful. Um, and it's God's action and his salvation and the way he's responded to his people. He has clothed me with garments of salvation, arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. He is adorning the people like a priest as a bridegroom and a bride. They're making the soil sprout up. Like God is the one doing that and they're not rejoicing specifically that like people are set free. All this stuff is Mm -hmm. happening. Things are being rebuilt. They're rejoicing because God has saved them. Mm. Um, And the other piece, which I highlighted at the end, um, it's mentioned twice in the verses that I was assigned to preach. Cause again, there are like two that are two or three that are cut out. Uh, from the lectionary text. And I am always intrigued as to why. We can't go down there, but no, I'm going to have an answer. Well, I was like, going to go down you there. Are. I'm like, I don't have an answer. You I, don't either. I don't either. I was just going to hope that you didn't I think it might, an answer. I don't know, timeliness, maybe? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Um, some of it's, it depends on the passage. Sometimes it's just really uncomfortable stuff that they don't want to have to talk about. Yeah. Some of it's just like, eh, this doesn't quite emphasize yeah, like much. This week I have two, Second Samuel 7, 1 through 11, and then 16. Just it yeah. throws in 16 just as a little gift. I'm like, ah, yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> just, just. Um, but anyway, uh, the nations, like the nations will see, the nations will acknowledge, like all of this isn't just the people of God are restored and brought mm. back and experiencing this amazing shalom and God's king as it's meant to be and being the people of God as they're meant to be. Like the result mm. is that the rest of the world will see this happening and know that it's because of God mm. and his blessing and who God is. Mm. Um, and that ended up jumping out as a really important piece. Yeah. Cause I mean, one, which is where you ended up anchoring joy, correct? Yes. Yeah. Rather than anchoring it in circumstances. Right. So I can't remember your exact phrase. Yeah. Joy. Um, biblically joy seems to be less circumstantial. <laughs> mm-hmm. So not that it's not influenced by that at all, but less circumstantial and more of an outflow and response to who God is, what he's done and what that means for how we understand life mm-hmm. as a whole. Yeah. Um, and then the outflow of that, um, when we are encouraged to choose joy, it's not just choosing attitude. It's choosing a person, mm-hmm. ultimately choosing Jesus. 
um, because he has chosen us mm-hmm. and that's what we're acknowledging yeah. Um, yeah. in Advent and that the purpose of joy isn't just for God's people. It's not just for us. It's not just for like how we experience Christmas or how our family experience Christmas or how self as a community gets to experience it. It's so that the world will know who God is. Mm-hmm. Like the purpose of joy is to overflow and share it with other people. Mm-hmm. Oh. Nice. That's so beautiful. earlier you said there was multiple interpretations about who's speaking here at the mm-hmm. end of the text. Yeah. How do you, I mean, that happens a lot mm-hmm. Yeah. when you're studying passages and, and then you're like, oh, it's probably because I just haven't studied harder. And then you study more and you're like, there's even more options. Right. Like this didn't help oh, at no. all. <laughs> so yeah. um, maybe a question for both of you, as you approach texts, mm-hmm. how do you go about um, getting a tiebreaker as it were? Because, you know, je- when you go to preach, you ultimately have to land on one of them. Right. Um, in, otherwise, in you're general. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you might be able to mention some of the others, but you still have to have like some sort of like thrust from an interpretive angle. Mm, Otherwise the sermon feels really wishy-washy and yeah. like flabby. Yeah. So how do you do that? I mean, part of my process is trying to interact with that minimum five commentaries, mm-hmm. um, different commentaries, different authors like that. It's an arbitrary number, but it feels like a, a yeah. solid enough done, number to get number. enough. Yeah. 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 And like, there, that's where that's where all the different opinions mm-hmm. come from, um, but understanding why they're arguing one way or another. Mm-hmm. This person also mentioned these reasons in alignment with this view, mm-hmm. um, and like I'll take um, the beginning verses talking about who the anointed one is and how you like interpret that. Yeah. There's differences of opinions there. Um, one author I was reading was saying, well, you can't like just jump to this as Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like you have to respect the context. Yeah. Like it was spoken to a specific people, like mm-hmm. the people of Judah in a specific time. Jesus mm-hmm. wasn't like Christians are so quick to like overinterpret mm-hmm. Jesus into everything. Like that's not respecting the text, which is fair. You want to respect the text in its original context. Mm-hmm. We do as especially evangelicals like overinterpret some stuff yeah. sometimes. Um, but also like Jesus claims this verse say, specifically yeah, yeah. for In himself. In this case, it's a little easier, right? Right. Yeah. Like, you know. um, like the whole God Trump card thing. Right. <laughs> like, and like <laughs> one of the other key commentators that he read is like, okay, but also you, Jesus claims this for himself. Like you can't not, mm-hmm. you can't separate that out. Yeah. yeah. Um, other pastors may be sure, but like when Jesus says, this is me right mm-hmm. here, I am this guy mm-hmm. uh, and I'm doing this, yeah. like you yeah. have got to fold that in. And textually, here are all the overlaps yeah. between this passage and what the anointed one is doing and what mm-hmm. the suffering servant is doing language wise, theme wise, chapter verse, like this is the same thing happening mm-hmm. and the same author spoken to the same people, yeah. like, yeah. And for think, these reasons and i think this is like where i think this is where the the lectionary is such a gift the old testament passages in the lectionary have some complexity around advent especially because there's usually some kind of suspected fulfillment around the same chronological time mm-hmm. so i get yeah. second samuel this week 
a lot of people looked at passages, um, you know, around the, the promises to David and expected certain things to come out of his kingdom. And then you have everything Isaiah experienced in the first parts of the book. And and then there's a, a re-promise and then there's other kings that follow. And there's always like multiple poten- fulfillments yeah. of things. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it lurks like they're like, uh, is it a promise fulfilled or is it a promise failed? And so they're they're always there, and yet we get to see this beautiful completion in Jesus. I also think I love the fact that when Jesus quotes this, he just cuts it off at a random place. Because every time anyone criticizes me for cutting a text off in a random place, I'm like, (laughs) Like, Jesus did it, it. Paul did it, Peter did it. It seems like that's fair game in Scripture. Um, Because I love the fact that he just doesn't get to the day of vengeance of our God. It's like, yeah, we're stopping with favor, um, which is is just beautiful. Um, Yeah. So I, I, I think... Yeah, how do you do the tiebreaker thing? So, so to me, I think usually a question I'll ask is, in this case specifically, n- not 61, but in, in any passage I might be looking at, does it matter? Like, I'm not going to spend loads of energy on it if it doesn't marketedly change the reading. So an example of that would be um, John chapter 3. Mm-hmm. If you look at John chapter 3 in a red letter Bible, yeah, like any Bible up to 15 years ago had almost the whole of John chapter 3 in red. And now I think the 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 modern NIV version it cuts it off somewhere around verse thirteen or fourteen. So the famous John three sixteen, uh, the the for years was was written as spoken by Jesus, mm-hmm. is now no longer written as spoken by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. N- now the question there is like, yes, right or wrong. There might be an answer, and there might be multiple different views. Does that markedly change how you read that text? It probably doesn't. Uh, and so huh, what yeah. I'll try not to do in those cases is get overly caught up in in the who said it. Um, with a text like this, yes, you definitely get to see some of the ways it changes the reading and it gives you a different understanding. Uh, and so then I'll... I'll usually ask, like, what, where does the flow of the passage feel like it's going and, and what makes the most sense in bringing it to some kind of resolution? Um, and and uh, yeah, I, I think whenever you have a, an opinion where multiple great scholars that you pick have different viewpoints, you're kind of like, okay, I could be wrong either way. Mm. And that maybe there's brilliant lessons to be pulled from it with each reading. Uh, and so then sometimes, unashamedly, I will say, I'll go with the reading that actually helps bring out the point that I'm feeling God wants to share with us from the text. I'm okay with that because I am probably not the yeah. best tiebreaker. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad you can't like get those two theologians in a room and have them do a thumb war or something. Exactly. <laughs> that, but fun. it's those moments where you realize like, like you, could do, you, you could thumb war them out in front of people. And they may not get the, the the people you're speaking to may get no value from that whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas theoretically, by just siding with one, you can you can draw incredible value out, and and it could be either or one of the three. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I love I I think all three of us have in common our love of nerding out on stuff like this for its own sake. Yeah. So I I I, I have like you know read 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 oh fun 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 fun. And I'm like, okay, what, what actually, where's the line that's helpful for a community like South and, and that respects my broadly 40 minutes? Um, yeah. Yeah. 
were there any other um, sort of angles or fun nuggets that you had saw in this text that you decided, you know what, not for this sermon? Or you, um, you got it all in there? I mean, probably. I just can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Did yeah. you read Fleming Rutledge? No, I chose not to because we quote her so many times. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to go with somebody else. I was just, She'll I was get quoted in other ways. And then I realized, like, <laughs> the day I got assigned this text, and it was the week of joy, like, okay, I'm going to use Tis Harrison Warren. Uh-huh. I read Prayer in the Night this year, yeah, which is yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, I would absolutely book. recommend the book. Um, which is where I got that final quote from. Uh-huh. And then you quoted week her one. the first week. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm not going to change it. Like, <laughs> this is already, I was, I went and like sticky noted this specific page. Oh man. The day after I got to say this text. Well, I feel terrible because I added her in like the day before I preached. I still didn't change anything. I, I, I guess yeah. it's continuity between like the weeks yeah. or something. And then I quoted, um, Eugene Peterson and I had, I had not had a chance to listen to Dan Sermon the week before, and I realized, oh, Dan quoted Eugene Peterson too. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. We, we still. I mean, I, I, I feel like after I've quoted someone a certain number of times, I usually refer to them as our friends. I'm like <laughs> our friends, so and so, because it feels like they're almost part of the community at that point. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> Ryan, we used to quote um, some of the more fringe theologians, but he would always refer to them as like. The sometimes off, uh, offbeat theologian, uh-huh. and then he would quote them. It was like his get out of jail free card in case uh, someone complained like about that quotation. I actually had a fascinating conversation with someone about that the other day. I'd put up a quote from someone that they find to be a little more fringe, um, and they said, "You know, uh, can I just ask why you would use a quote from that person?" And I said, that's really interesting. Like my process for who's quotable actually has, um, so, so I want what they say to be, I think I'm going to use the word true as a blanket term may not be the best term, but I'm going to say, I want what they're saying to be true from my understanding of it, but I'm not super concerned about whether everything else that they've said is, is also true. Um, I'm actually at that point far more interested in how I see them living out the ethics of Jesus than I am how they articulate every nuance of faith. Mm -hmm. So like someone like Richard Rohr, for example, is someone who like I I actually really value um, the the ethic of. Every time I read a book of his, there's like, I'm just going to pick easy numbers. It's 50%. I'm like, oh my goodness, I love that. And 50%, I'm like, meh, I don't personally agree with that. Uh, Then there's been other people that have made some decisions that I might agree with 95% of things they've said, but I just now wouldn't quote them. Like Rabbi Zacharias would be a good example of that. Like I might pick up a book of his and and be like 95% of this I agree with. Yeah. I, I see you not living out the ethics of Jesus and also repent. Like, yeah, again, if, if there's been a repentance process that changes that sure. massively. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just interesting, really, how how you make those decisions. Uh, who's quotable? Who's interesting? Not quotable. And yeah. so I think people tend to find more of an angst when you quote someone that they see some theological questions with. Um, and to me, I'm like, never when I quote anyone, am I endorsing their everything that they've ever said or everything that they've ever written. I mean, 
can't no no absolutely (laughs) but i am saying i think they in their own broken way throw an illumination on this way of jesus in a way that i'd like to share with the community so it's not one dimensional it's not just like is it true or isn't it true there is a second dimension which is actually the to the the lived out character as far as you know it yeah of the author so which is why like you wouldn't quote hitler no even no. if he said something true. Absolutely, yeah. yeah you so won't. there is a second dimension there. That's So, that's so where, where it becomes fascinating is like recently I used a quote from Martin Luther King. Um, there's, there's ways that I see him living out the ethic of Jesus and there's ways that reportedly at least I think he didn't live out that ethic. Like so you realize you're always making choices based on like yeah. a complicated grid. Um. It is. Uh, and so, so then you kind of like, you're asking questions like, or I'm asking questions at least, like in the area that I'm quoting him on, did he seem to live out the ethic of Jesus? So usually when I'm quoting Martin Luther King, I'm quoting his understanding of the civil rights movement, of, of how everyone gets to live in the light of what Jesus has done in, in equality. Yeah. And uh, so then I'm like, okay, no, that seems to fit. Would I quote him on fidelity in marriage? reportedly at least in terms of rumors maybe not like that's a you know that's yeah that that's a challenge point right so i think you you realize nobody's perfect but if especially if you've if you if you've found that there's someone that you've you've got the opportunity to quote and it seems like based on general understanding that they've they've actively not lived out the way of jesus and have brought harm to people then I'm I'm usually going to choose not to quote them, but I can't yeah. be wrong about that. Yeah. Do you have like a framework or is just like maybe similar, subconsciously similar? I mean, I, I think there were, there would certainly be people that would just not choose to use as a mm-hmm. reference for following Jesus on any level. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't ever had the opportunity to be like, oh, well, this is a great quote, but mm. like also like potential bombshell moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I did mention like Tish Harrison Warren is a priest in the Anglican mm-hmm. church. Um, so I did when I was quoting her at one point mention that she's a priest and I had a moment at the back of my head. It's like, oh, hope that doesn't distract anyone from yeah. what she's saying but it's too late now. So yeah. keep going. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that could potentially distract, but also gives context for who this person is. And yeah. I think so, that's, that, that element is fascinating in terms of like the Western world generally puts all the onus on communication on the speaker. Mm-hmm. So you're expected to do all the work of saying, how can I make this fully understood by the person? Yes. And, and like make sure that they have no ability to be distracted by any of the whatever. Mm-hmm. Which is not possible. Which is not possible. Yeah. And, and and you go to other countries and it's the opposite. Like all the expectation is on the listener. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to understand it from the perspective of the person who's speaking. And, and that changes the, the dialogue completely. Um, huh. So I'm glad we don't live in a world, because I grew up in a world where the lead pastor specifically spoke with such authority. It was as if the voice of God had spoken. 
So, so I, I would have people regularly because I like to read from an early age and I was never the sort of person that would just be like, oh yeah, he said it, that must be true. Um, I, I remember having conversations with people about scripture where they'd say, you know, well, this is true. And I'd say, well, based on this, I'd suggest that's not true. And their tiebreaker in that instance was always, yeah, but Dave said it. I'm like, huh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, but he's a flawed human, right? <laughs> and you, you, like people would say, well, yeah, he is, but, <laughs> you but see, he said it. <laughs> they didn't really believe it. They were fairly convinced that, you know. It yeah. sounds like a whole different podcast episode on our perceptions of authority. Um, man yeah. alive. It's like, that was weird. Mm. I like feel like I just somehow bowed this with my, I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Squirrel. Um, people's perceptions of authority because um, I've been thinking about this where like people put a lot more authority into like the tradition they were taught when they were young, depending on whether that they felt good about that mm -hmm. age range. Like that's not what I was always taught. And then you ask them for the Bible verse and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. My pastor, when I was a kid said it, um, yeah. it's fascinating where we subconsciously make these decisions of how heavily to weight the teaching of one thing, one person over another person, even when it surrounds a biblical idea. Mm. It's super interesting. I remember having a like low grade argument with a friend in college. They, well, what C.S. Lewis said, blah, blah, blah. C.S. Lewis said, blah, blah, blah. It's like, C.S. Lewis isn't God. Like, mm -hmm. He's great, but like <laughs> it doesn't matter if he said <laughs> like you can't just take that as well this is therefore how things are yeah. that being said i love c.s lewis have learned a lot from him and quoted him in my sermon this week thank you for clarifying but, that. that's a relief i was worried for a moment <laughs> right uh, we thought we'd lost you jessica <laughs> who is this person um, <laughs> yeah but like that level of authority well if this one favorite author theologian whoever mm. said it then like yes. therefore that's how i need to look at it it's like I, but I that's that, not how it works. And that's so perceptive. Well, yeah, like, yeah. And I think one of the things, so given the, the number of times I, I tend to preach in a year compared to anyone else, I, I've noticed that a few different conversations that have intrigued me. One, if I quote someone a lot, I've actually had people come to me and say, oh, you quoted this person a lot. I'd like to start reading them. Mm. Because, and, and internally I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, it might be that I've found lots of opportunities to use specific bits of wisdom from that person. Please, again, don't hear that everything that they said is perfect. So that, that's Great. always intriguing to me. And then occasionally I have conversations with people that will look something like, why do you quote so many people? Like, just give us the scripture. Uh, and, and my answer to that is usually, well, well, actually try and realize, like, all I am able to do based on how I understand human ability to read scripture and understand God is I'm trying to shine a light on a, on a piece of scripture and, and allow it to illuminate who God is to you as a group of people. So whenever I quote anybody else, I'm actually just calling to my aid, other people who have had views on that and said, you know, this is, this is, this is what this passage seems to be saying mm -hmm. to us as people. I actually get the sense from some people <clears throat> that they'd rather that I just read those passages and just use the words without quoting people. Like just, just almost like claim for the claim them for my own. And I think 
actually, like, I, I, they they endorse plagiarism, is what you said. No. Well, well, I think actually, like, I think depending on your upbringing, whether you've ever classed yourself as something like an academic, plagiarism is potentially not seen as a negative thing at all. Like, like, it, it, I think, I think, even just the process of going to college where you write papers as opposed to study different areas of uh, of work, like we all having studied are like well no plagiarism's an absolute no i think there's actually more people than we'd 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 realize that are like yeah i don't get that why doesn't matter like i mean like just you, you've got the scripture you've got all the things that you've read and thought and it's all jumbled up and just yeah talk about it uh, so i i was actually quite surprised that like my my sort of like stringent desire to to make sure ideas that i have a recognized as not necessarily my own and actually having value in that to some people is like no no no, just talk about scripture um and i'm like well you realize i can't talk about it without all of those other ideas that are floating around that have been written by other people yeah um huh. i just it just has intrigued me as conversation points like on the two spectrums, the one that the the no value for everything that the other people's work that is shared, uh, and on the other hand, like supreme value almost on that, or, or desire to at least be on the same page, which, which yeah is, is not is not bad, but just also requires the caveat of like yeah, C.S. Lewis is great, yeah. not yeah. not the divine being, nope, not Jesus. Um, so yeah, so yeah. it's uh it's. Thursday after you gave the message, Jessica, yeah. and is there at this midweek point, if there was one thing that people uh, remembered, what what do you hope that would be? Um, that joy is. I might have said this already. I don't remember. Um, joy is more than circumstantial. It's more than attitude. It's rooted in who God is and what mm. He's done. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. Anything else we should cover? Come to Christmas Eve services at South if you live in this area. (laughs) And actually, potentially, if you don't. Yes, if you would like to hear a frog lead worship. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just joking. Um, Yes, we have 10 a.m. service, just to be clear, since some of you listen to this show. um, The 10 a.m. service is different. It is not the candlelight service. I've already had multiple people say, I'm coming to the 10 a.m. candlelight service. I'm like, no, you aren't, because there won't be candles. Um, The candlelight service is going to be the afternoon services, 2 and 4 o'clock. The morning service will be the last week of Advent where we get to hear from 2 Samuel. Yeah, and and at least least if you come to the 10 a.m. service expecting candlelight, you'll find out that it's not, and you can hopefully... Still make it. Still make it to one of the yeah. Yep. Beautiful services that we have planned for you on Christmas Eve afternoon. Um. So yeah, that's it. We'll see you then, Jessica. Thanks for jumping in and preaching. And uh, yeah, you're welcome. And I think I said this to you, um, but I'd love everybody else to hear it. What I love about you is you bring this beautiful sense of your own gifting and personality, uh, and it is special in terms of the the voices at South. So thank you for doing that so faithfully. Thank you. Indeed. And now I'm going to do the awkward thing where I try and find the stop button every week. You'd think I'd plan this out, but I feel like it's endearing now. Is it? 
Um, oh, and I don't even have the password logged in, <laughs> so it's even longer and more awkward. So, because... so what are we going to talk about for two minutes? Yeah, when Jessica and I did this podcast without you, I just hit all the off buttons I could find. <laughs> just eventually. Off, 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 and there was off, something off. that didn't turn off. I think you just continued to record a blue screen for like the next mm-hmm. 20 minutes. That's amazing. So Well, I am now... You bring a minor incompetence. I am, uh, I'm slowly approaching possible end point of the show. Bye. Bye. Bye.